Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. You're watching Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. You're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability. You've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Contractor Evolution Show. This is Benji. I'm joined by my friend and partner, Igor. How are you, man? I'm doing really well. It's great to be in the studio here with you today. We are going to do a Q&A episode today. We get tons of questions sent to us as DMs, asked in webinars, asked at speaking events when we're on stage, asked at trade shows, sent to us via LinkedIn. We try to keep them all and kind of track the themes that come up and, and find the most common ones. There's, um, you know, there's patterns, there's trends, there's things that a lot of you seem to wonder about. And so we've selected five today for a quick fire Q&A episode. We've got five questions and we've got five answers. Igor and I are going to tra try to tackle them here in the next half hour. So you ready? Let's do it. Okay. So this first one is about compensation. Uh, and it's this, <clears throat> have you found a way to implement performance, performance based pay with production management staff and office staff? It's fairly obvious how to do this with salespeople. You set up a commission of some sort, but I'm wondering how to do this for these other types of roles. Yeah. Let's talk about them separately. So let's start off with the whole production management bit. Um, so my view on this is, and, and it's not just my view. I mean, we see this, um, broadly across the really high performing breakthrough Academy members and the contractor evolution guests that we've had on. Um, but basically the deal with production management is that everyone within the production system, whether it's the roofer, the carpenter, the production manager, uh, is directly driving the result of how the company makes money, which is on the labor at hand, mm -hmm. right? So if you think about, like, let, let's talk about this, this production management role. At the end of the day, what do they need to do? They have, if they're a production manager in a true sense, they have control over labor and materials. Mm -hmm. And as a result, by definition, the gross profit that comes out of it, mm -hmm. not the net profit of the company, because the net profit, remember, is after all kinds of overhead expenses, like yeah. vehicle leases, uh, the insurance on the office, marketing expenses. They don't have anything to do with that, but what they do absolutely have control of, again, if they're a true, let's say production manager, if you're using an example in its real sense, they have control over the gross profit because they above that line of control over the labor, the field labor, and they have control over the materials. So how do they directly influence how the company makes money? Well, if they're doing their job right, they're going to deliver the right gross profit margin that's been estimated on that job to be made. Do you have a, is there like a simple system, um, you know, a simple bonus structure sort of way that you would set this up to kind of get the desired performance that you want? Yeah. So what we see a lot of top performing contracting companies do is they create a watermark of how much gross profit in an annual year 
that production manager will need to need to oversee and deliver on to the company. 35% or above or 42% or above depends on your industry, but you would basically set a number for that. Correct. So you could set a number that's a percentage or you could set an aggregate dollar amount Mm. which you would especially if that person also might happen to be a not that person if if you were talking about a general manager mm. which who is over who is overseeing sales as well right so you could be talking about an aggregate dollar amount like they need to deliver let's just say eight hundred thousand dollars in gross profit if they have oversight of the whole thing or if they have oversight just of production which if, most would most would so let's just, let's just do it in terms of percentages probably so if it's a percentage let's just say it's 35 percent and yeah. that's 35 percent after all labor and after all materials Right. So um, what you can do is you can have uh, everything, you can have a bonus at that mark. And then if they cross into the 36% plus 1%, you have a top top up bonus after a 37, they've got a top up bonus. Right. And I do want to talk about the general manager example, which is once uh, as companies grow, they may have a general manager that's overseeing all production and all sales. And the way that you can do that is uh, basically you would bonus them additionally on all gross profit. You'd share with them like a profit share system, all gross profit after a certain marker. So if their watermark is to hit 800,000, uh, after that, they might have a 15% share of all of that above that marker. So it's like a tiered, it's like a tiered system where totally. you hit say 35%. Because we need to amount. ensure that they get there. 100%. So that's like the minimum. Would you even weight the higher percentages more heavily? For example, if you hit 35, it's, I'm going to make up numbers, $5,000. Sure. If you hit 37, we'll give you another seven. If you hit 38, we'll hit you another, we'll give you another 10 or something like that. So you're kind of like incentivizing them to go deeper into that desired gross profit margin that you want. Well, mathematically you would because, uh, so mathematically it would make sense to do so because if you think about how the math of it works, essentially like you've paid off all of your overhead at a mm. certain point. So once you start to cross the amount of profit left for the company is quite a lot. You can really afford to you do that. You can afford to do way. that because you're now fully yeah. overhead paid off. Right. Uh, so mathematically, yes. However, um, there is, uh, if, if it's, if it's quite difficult to hit some of these, like, let's say 37, 38, if we're using this example, it doesn't help you a ton if it's going to be very difficult for that person to get there. So you definitely want to reward quite heavily in my opinion, as soon as they hit, as soon as they hit that marker that you want them to hit. So again, the central point is that, uh, you want to be, you want to be aware that in every single production role that all of these individuals and all of these roles are striving to achieve these goals that are centered around on how the company makes money, which is based off of labor. They are controlling that and they should be rewarded directly by how well that labor performs. There's a caveat here, which maybe doesn't need to be said because it's pretty obvious, but I, I will mention it anyway. Your tracking needs to be really good. Your books need to be really clean and you need to be a pretty transparent leader with respect to the numbers. If you're just kind of saying, if there's some level of like, opaqueness around what they mm-hmm. can see versus what you can see and you're kind of arbitrarily saying yes you hit or no you didn't you're gonna create well major, let me throw one problems. other really important one yeah. which is your estimating if your estimating isn't standardized and on point and doesn't allow that production manager to, to be able hit to, that gp to hit that you gp you're going to have major issues between production management and estimators. So you need a level of standardization, consistency, and accuracy in estimating. So there's certain like baseline systems, both in estimating and in the tracking of hours and materials attributed to jobs that are prereqs before you can even look at something like this. But again, if we look at consistent high performers, they have that stuff in place because it's so 
uh, fundamental to being able to to bonus your production management staff. And then what are your thoughts on office staff? Yeah, so office staff, there are certain ones that can be attributed uh, to performance, uh, AKA where they open up production capacity. Remember, uh, a scheduler, okay, for example, they don't produce, they aren't billed in the field like right. the actual workers in the field no. are. So you make money on those workers in the field. So if they directly create opportunities for field people to be productive, that can be measured and bonused. Mm. However, there are a whole bunch of office roles like office admin support. If they're taking calls, uh, they're dealing with AR, they're doing some, some uh, invoicing where like while theoretically, yes, you could attract that, it is going to be so convoluted and so resource intensive to do that, that it, in my opinion, it doesn't make sense to do that. And I've seen people try to get really fanatical with ROI yeah. tracking and you spend a lot of time and a lot of resources doing it. Yeah. And my question would be, is, is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah, on you're, that? you're getting a little cute with it where you're coming up with the, you're de devising these complex schemes and it's like, are you actually getting, uh, is someone adminning harder than they were before? It's totally like not like not really. Yeah, hundred percent right. And okay. and I am I'm personally absolutely a fan of performance based bonuses. Like across our organization, almost every role has it. But for instance, I have an I have an assistant. She doesn't right. because the amount of of energy and effort involved in tracking that not worth it. It's it's really not worth it. So um, I think that there's an element here where you don't want to be trying to you know what do they say squeeze like a square peg into a round hole. Mm. Uh, if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. But again. There are again. Remember, there are certain office roles that that do literally allow production capacity to have staff, like a dispatcher, or a scheduler. CSRs. If they're, yeah. if they're not, yeah, exactly. If they're not doing their job properly, mm -hmm. you can measure that. And if they mm -hmm. are doing their job properly, you can measure it. So, um, huge fan of tracking ROI and bonusing people based on performance. If it's impractical to do so, don't force it. Question number two, how do you interview? This is a good one. How do you interview for coachability? Everyone mm. says they love to learn and take feedback well, but rarely is that actually the case. Any advanced interviewing tactics for this super important trait? Yeah, that's a really good question because your long-term growth as an organization is obviously contingent upon your abilities, people to learn and develop. Before we answer this, let's maybe just define, like just what do we mean by coachability? It means, I think at the end of the day, what you're talking about is people's ability to raise their ceiling, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, to be able to learn, to develop, to augment different skills that they need to over time. Like you and I, Benji, have been working, how long have we been working together? Probably 15, is that right? 10 years. 10 years, we're yeah. not 15, we're, we're about 10 years. And the amount of learning and growth that's happened over the course of that time. If you think about from that time period when we started working together, the skills that you have right now, you never would have even dreamed or imagined some of these things that 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 you've developed over this time, right? And it's the ability to constantly I be. Thought learning. I was pretty smart back then. <laughs> yeah, actually, you were. Tur a bit turns, smart turns out I wasn't. But it, you know what we're talking about is is the ability to learn, to develop, um, and to augment skills. And okay. I think some people see this as like you know to be able to correct behavior, and yeah, that's an element of it. But I think that. When I think of coachability, I think more of like raising a ceiling than I do correcting issues and behavior. I, I, I do too. So, so with that that definition out of the way, what what this question is about is like how do we assess or analyze whether or not someone has this trait or they don't? And by the way, we would make the case that they have it or they don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you can coach coachability. In other words, this is a trait yeah. that's sort of baked in. 
In my experience, uh, it kind of is what it is with a person. Like I've not seen people go through different swings where they haven't been and then they suddenly become so Mm. over the course of their life, which actually lends itself well to interviewing for it because you're able to see that over the course of their life. So here's my my experience with it is that um, they, uh, if you're good at interviewing and, and we'll talk a bit about how to do this, these traits, if they are there, they will come out. You don't need to go like explicitly digging for them. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So a good interviewer, what you're doing is you're trying to uh, understand the different things that they've been through in their life, in their previous work, but in their sports, in their school, in their personal life, in all facets of that human being, of that individual. And you're trying to understand the commonalities and the traits and the patterns that have been prevalent throughout that person's life. Like that's how I look at the interviewing process. And some people say, holy crap, like how have you like interviewed this person like three interviews, two and a half hours each? It's like, well, we're diving into all these different things that they've been through in their life and we're getting into them in a lot of detail, right? So what, what I'm certainly not doing is like, hey, Benji, you're a pretty coachable guy, right? Can you tell me about three different oh, yeah, examples where you've, been, where you've been really open and coachable and where you've learned from other people? Right. Of course, you're gonna be able to come up with some bullshit. That's not at all what we're talking about. What we're talking about is you're going through the story of their life and all the really big fundamental things that have formed the person that they are today. And what do you think you'll see if you're looking at it from that very macroscopic view? So what you're going to see is that almost everybody that's gone through some stuff in life, which is by definition what you want, will have gone through challenges, through uh, hurdles, through obstacles, through missed goals. And at some point, the right people will have rounded corners coming out of mm, these these right. kind of situations. Hit the bottom said, okay, I'm gonna totally. turn, turn this around from here. Totally, yeah. whether they've hit huge roadblocks during their university right. that they've been into, where they got their ass kicked coming out of high school, whether they've been on a sports team where they were like really, really not talented and had to, you know, almost got cut from a team and had to uh, work their, you know, work their way through a lot of hard work, uh, got their 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 butt kicked in, in their early jobs, had huge challenges in their work due to economic factors. You know, there's a whole bunch of examples, but the people that you want to have in your team, in my experience, are people that have been through some shit. And what you're going to find is those ones, uh, it's through those situations that you're going to be able to understand like who has figured out in times of struggle and challenge and obstacles to go learn and develop themselves. And if they are, if these traits are there, as you explore these situations in detail, when they round that corner and when how they round, they round, the round corner, that corner, they will become apparent. You don't need to go looking for them. You don't need to be like, so tell me how you were really coachable during this challenge when you just weren't succeeding in your swim meets over the course of these three months. You, you, they're gonna be able to bullshit with, with some answer. So I don't think that you need to ask for it explicitly. What you need to do is you need to set the stage by going into their psyche and the details and, and how they went through these yeah. challenging situations and how they came through the other side because the people that had to figure some stuff out and learn and develop are going to talk about are going to talk about when it. they're telling the story if you're giving them the opportunity yeah. to yeah. do that yeah right and that's why interviewing like i talk very little during interviews i just ask the the, the questions as i kind of want to guide which like i think of it like bumpers on the side where i want the conversation to go i'm just kind of bumping a bit left to the right a bit to the left right i'm just kind of guiding a little bit the flow of the conversation but it's really them telling stories mm-hmm. about their life and how that and how they've developed and i think 
you know, for all listeners, like if you're a, a real entrepreneur, you've figured some stuff out in your life and think about how you, you, you've done that, right? Like you, you've developed an ability to learn and to augment your skills. Um, and that would come out in your story. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and it's the same thing when you're interviewing, you're getting stories to come out and people who have had, who have the ability to learn and to augment their skills, you're going to hear about that. Um, the, the, it's, this is an extremely important trait and it's, it's evidenced, um, by the fact that if you've ever worked with someone without it, it's just a very difficult working relationship. People that have, that have, uh, a, a low ceiling, literally a self-inflicted low ceiling because they're closed minded or unwilling to learn or don't ask for feedback or, or, or maybe they do ask for feedback, but then they don't take it. Uh, you've definitely worked next to someone, worked for someone or had someone work for you that has that and it's not that fun. The other side of this that I think is worth mentioning because this question is about, you know, I'm looking for someone with coachability. How do I quantify that in an interview? You need to look at yourself in the mirror as well and ask yourself, are, yeah, this person might have it, but are you even a good coach in the first place? And we could do a whole talk on what it means to be a coach and tactics, blah, blah, blah. Really just to simplify it. Uh, do you say what needs to be said when it needs to be said? Are you are you a direct communicator or do you shy away from the moment when uh, quality standards slip because someone is just not paying attention? Mm-hmm. Someone shows up late because they feel like it. Like, are there do do you have what it takes? Do you have that strong backbone to deliver the message? Uh, because that's half of this equation too. Their receptivity to it is important. Your ability to deliver it is important as well. If you hire someone that's super coachable and you give them nothing, it's, it's those whole conversations pointless. Yep. You need, you need both things. And just to end off here, before we move to the third Q and a question coming in, I want to end with this one thing, just cause we're standing here in the contract revolution studio. Um, if someone had asked, if someone sits here and asks us the story of how this pretty successful podcast was created, what's one thing that we talk about? We would talk about how we learn to do this, which is from books, from a coach that we've been meeting with bi-weekly since before we got the show going. Uh, it's a story of learning and developing. Like we didn't, we didn't grow up in this content marketing and podcasting space. It's just to illustrate the example, like when you ask the questions of how did people develop, if they are truly coachable and real learners, yeah. it will organically come out. 100%. Question number three is about change management. <clears throat> also a good one. We always have ambitious implementation goals at the beginning of the year, but only ever seem to get half of it done mm. to a state of about 70 for 70% completion. So common. How do you hold tension with your team and make sure the more complex systems get fully implemented? Okay, let me throw out one thing here. Just what, what first off comes to mind for me when I hear this question. Um, I don't think that most leaders think about this very simple concept explicitly enough. And here's, and here's the concept. When you're running a contracting business, two things need to happen to ensure your long-term success. Number one, you need to achieve the actual work output to fuel your business, right? And in the contracting world, that's something along the lines of like, we need to generate leads. Revenue goals, production goals, profitability that you need to hit, certain productivity metrics. Exactly. So this is like the scorecard stuff that you would have. Yeah, Yeah, 100%. So every month we need a certain amount of leads. We need to complete a certain number of estimates. Uh, We need to book a certain number of jobs. We need to produce a certain amount of production hours, Mm. a certain amount of gross profit dollars, all this kind of stuff, right? Those are like, like the hockey card stats 
every month, every quarter, every year. Completely separately, like total other side of the coin, for long-term success, we need to implement systems, structures, processes to make our business better. Mm-hmm. And if we lean on a one side too heavily for too long, it's not going to be good. If we are constantly just driving results, like we're driving marketing, we're driving sales, we're driving production, but we're not working on making mm-hmm. our company better per se and it's in its foundational structures and processes and people and everything, uh, the steam is going to run out mm-hmm. over time. And conversely, if we flip too much the other way and we get fanatical about building all these, like all of this, we're implementing technology, we're hiring yeah. really good people. We're developing our people, and we totally lose sight yeah. on, yeah. on sales and production. You're gonna run into like tangible financial and business problems very quickly. So you have to balance both. So th- that's that's my recommendation. Just to, just to start off with is that you look at these things as two totally separate, separate jobs mm-hmm. that you have that yeah. you need to lead through your team. Does that make sense? It makes it makes total sense. Yeah. And I, in my opinion, I think most contractors are extremely good at the former, the scorecard stuff, scrappy, hardworking, totally. get it done type people and get it done type teams. It's the latter. That's probably where this question comes it's from. It's a different where skill a lot, set. That's literally why Breakthrough Academy exists. That's why we do this podcast. It's like the implementation stuff is actually very, very difficult. Uh, I shouldn't say necessarily difficult, but different skill set. It's a very different skill set. And really like if you were to break it down what it is, the common term for this would be it's a project management kind of skill set. Right. Because whether you're executing a complex and difficult recruitment campaign for for a high level general manager that your company needs to grow and to get you out of these GM type duties week to week, that is a project management plan. If you're trying to implement uh, a really wicked new communication system for your team, yeah. uh, that that's that's an implementation of a system. It's project management. If you are uh, launching a really cool uh, digital marketing strategy, there's all kinds of steps to that as a project management process. Totally. So th- that, that's really the word that comes to mind. And I think that to your point, like the ability to lead a team to, you know, uh, do really great work, uh, get that word of mouth going to drive more leads, to get estimate activity going. Like it's, it's just, it's a different thing. It's a totally, totally different quadrant of your brain and it's a muscle that needs to be developed. So what would be like, are there kind of core things that you would have someone focus on or learn about or read about to yeah, just maybe yeah, yeah. develop it? So uh, the here, here's the good news is I find that in, our, in this world that we're living in right now, we are full of content on good project management. Yeah. Um, a proof to this is when you look at like the rise and the success in the side of certain project management software. Right. Like we internally use Asana, but there's a whole bunch of them. Trello, Monday.com. Uh, there's a whole bunch. Like they're becoming so popular. There's tons of content out there on this subject because people are realizing like this is really important stuff in business. So fundamentally, when you look at, and, and we could have multiple episodes just on this topic, but if you're to look at a really high level, like what's important here is to be able to create definition to projects mm. and to isolate what are we doing mm. what are the what are the end goals mm-hmm. of this thing mm-hmm. right to understand like what does success mean um, what is the root issue that we're trying to solve to get everybody clear on this and then to have a project leader on this whether that's either you or even more ideally somebody on your team this is this is someone on the team like a project champion for someone who like really owns this project and sort of the buck stops with them. They'll probably report to you, but as far as the actual day to day, week to week, yeah, who's, the, who's the a project owner? Yeah, and and by the way, in there lies a really common issue that I see with entrepreneurs, especially the ones that are a bit more. 
uh, what to call a spade a spade, they're kind of more ADD. Mm. They will just dump stuff onto people where it's completely unreasonable from a capacity perspective. So that's like a really big caveat to it is like, are you resourced enough? Like, do you have enough labor, like human hours in your business going on to have people lead some of these projects is a question to start. But the point is, is like you have to have a project plan. Um, and, and what great, I think, execution and implementation of these things look like is a, is a great breakdown of these big initiatives into smaller components mm -hmm. that involve mm -hmm. big chunk milestones and where those milestones are broken down into these task breakdowns that eat where each task is very specific. It has a deadline and it is an accountable individual. So when you look at like the commonality of these um, systems or softwares that, they all look that manage similar. them, they all look very yeah. similar yeah. and they're centered around like project definition, like a statement of like the root issue, the thing that we're trying to solve, what does success look like and who are the key people in what roles in the project, and then they've got the the, the milestones and the and the task breakdown to each milestone, and each task has a person assigned to it and has a date, and then you can click into that task and have a whole bunch of details around what needs to be done, and then in the system. Each task, these people that are accountable for each task can click complete, they can put in their notes, they can upload the work product, whatever, but they're all fundamentally the same. And I think therein lies this challenge is that that type of work, as we just said earlier, is a very different quadrant to the brain than is like, let's build out a sales team. Mm. Mm -hmm. And let's do a ton of estimates. To your to your um, to your comment about like defining the project, I think just one really practical tip, like when we do stuff, we generally will uh, will ask ourselves and answer this question for ourselves, which is, we'll know we've accomplished this when, mm -hmm. semicolon, and fill in the blanks. Yeah, and we'll, that's a we'll huge know part we've of the definition. Accomplished this when the entire team, from sales to admin to production, is using Company Cam effectively to share images, uh, job site photos, and and it, like it plays an integral role in how we complete projects on time and on budget. We'll know we've accomplished this when uh, this digital marketing campaign is fully up and running with new creatives refreshed yep. once a month, and we and we're generating, uh, you know, uh, an, an ROI on our ad spend, ROAS. Uh, and it's very, very predictable and reliable and scalable into the future. Whatever, like just fill in the blanks. That question, when you answer it for yourself, is going to give you a very, very clear understanding of what good looks like because the ambiguity, especially as you get deeper into a project, it's you just be like, what? Well, are we there yet? Yeah. Like, is this finished? Like, are we? I don't know. Like, we were sort of good enough. I'm kind of tired of working on it. Can we just call this done and move on? That's why things end up at the 70% mark. Yeah, 100%, right? If, if you don't know where you're going, it's really hard to map out that course, which is why, like, when I, when I look into our sauna, the, the way that I visually see this is, like, we're on a, it, it's like, the, the best visualization is if you physically think about it, think about like a multi-day trek through the mountains, mm. you need to know the destination. And then that entire list of the milestones and the tasks in between are like your route there mm -hmm. from, from start to finish. So that's the way that that works. Um, it, I'll just one closing thought on this. When I'm just looking back at the question here, like, you know, we, we've got these amb ambitious goals, but it typically we only ever get like half done and blah, blah, blah. This whole skill of project management if you're serious about playing the game of entrepreneurship and leadership long-term, mm. like if that is your career, which for all of you listen, if you're listening to this, it is, um, you best get good at this. That's, I, I wanted to add this, this, this thought on which, and you just said it, well, you need to get good at this. Here's, here's something that I would not recommend doing is don't 
labor under the delusion that you can hire this out super effectively. You could work with a company like Breakthrough Academy, which coaches you and gives you a huge amount of tools and supports the process. But if you think you're just going to hire, hey, I met this person, they're really, really good with spreadsheets and they showed me this Asana <laughs> thing and I'm going to pay them you know, $70,000 a year and they're going to come in and systemize my business. I have yet to see that work. Totally. Um, we could debate the reasons that is. It's It would be a bit long-winded, but it, well, so I, I won't, but it is it is a core competency for you to get good at. So get good at it. Don't just farm it out to someone and think it's going to work because it won't. And you also will stunt your growth uh, by doing that. So that's just a mistake agreed. we've seen happen so many, so many, so many times with members. 100%. So I just found someone. They're going to do less for me. No, they won't. They, they, it's your business, not theirs. 180%. Uh, question number four. My brand needs a refresh, but I can't afford a full rebrand with an agency. Any thoughts around low-budget brand upgrades that work? Oh, we're totally changing directions here. Mm. I have a few thoughts. Okay. So if you hate your name and your logo, like if we're talking about just like the super like molecular level of your brand, you've got a name that's all wrong and a, and a logo that, or a brand package that totally sucks. That Let's kind of park this off to the side and answer that question first. Go listen to episode 23 with Noel Fox of Freebird Agency. Uh, listen to episode 95 with Eric Miller. Uh, write some thoughts about what you like and you don't like and where you'd like this to go. What about it is really bugging you? What feedback are you getting from clients? You're going to have some qualitative data floating around in that brain of yours that you know, makes you feel the way you feel about the brand that you currently have. Read a book called Story Brand, then connect with us, connect with me directly. We can go from there, LinkedIn, reply to a pod, uh, one of our podcast emails, whatever. You can do a cheap rebrand. It's not necessarily the best practice. Like ideally, when you get to the size and scale where you can afford to do this properly with an agency, you should, but it is expensive. And I think that's where this question comes from. So you can do a cheap one, uh, but if you don't understand pretty basic branding concepts, I wouldn't bother. And uh, so that's where I would start. Just like educate yourself a little bit. Assuming that you are good with your name and your logo, there's a couple like the sort of low hanging fruit items that that I think work and have worked really well for us and, and uh, worked well for my previous business and painting. Hire a graphic designer on Fiverr or on Upwork. There's other sites where you can kind of hire creatives and, and other contractors, but find someone that you like. Pick someone on the more expensive end of the uh, on, on the more expensive end of the spectrum with a portfolio that you really really like. Because generally, I think we can both agree our experiences. You get what you pay for with this stuff, and the range in terms of graphic design skill is very very wide. Um, and what you're going to try to build is something we would call like a client guide. So this is just a super versatile brand asset that you can use in sales appointments. So you could have it digitally that you show on an iPad. You could print it out on high gloss paper, laminate it, put a ring on it as well. If you just like the tactile sensation of it, you can put it in email campaigns. You can slice and dice it into little social media posts. It's a versatile brand asset, meaning you get a lot of juice for the squeeze. Uh, in this client guide with your graphic designer, you should have a few things. Uh, previant, pre sorry, previous client testimonials, high resolution job site imagery, like really cool, sexy photos of your crew doing cool stuff on ladders, using equipment, 
whatever whatever trade or, or or niche you have, you know, get some imagery there that really showcases that well. A description of your unique process. We're going to talk about unique process in a second. Core your core values and your why. If they've been thought through, if they're kind of shitty, lazy ones like integrity and craftsmanship, and you really just like pick some Great words, work. don't do that. But if you've thought through them and they mean something to you, and you actually can talk about you can talk about them verbosely with a client, I think it's worth including awards and recognitions, materials and suppliers, not just generic pamphlets from GAF. If you're a roofer from Sherwin-Williams, if you're a painter, like you can include those, but you'd also want to put your own thoughts as to like why you like various products and for what use cases. Mm -hmm. And then I talk about features and benefits of working with you as well. Anything that you can do uh, to justify like premium pricing, which you should be working towards. So a client guide, really versatile brand asset, not that expensive to create. I just went through a bit of a list of things that should be on it. Another really, really cheap and inexpensive brand upgrade. Name your process. This is like your, this unique process I was mentioning a second ago and create an infographic around it. Step one, step two, et cetera. Most businesses are going to have some flow through of tasks from initial you know, design meeting to estimate to full scope of work to construction agreement to scheduling, blah, blah, blah. blah. You, you know the flow through things. If this is like kind of hacky, but if you literally just like give that thing a name. Okay, so let's just think of a Eric Bannard, even better painting, EB painting, right? Like he could just call it like the even better process and literally just like name that thing, create some infographics around it, make it a little bit more visual, a little bit more beautiful. Six unique steps that they do. Clients love this stuff. And by the way, they're not unique. Everyone preps the same way. Everyone primes the same way. But the way that you wordsmith it will make it look and seem really, really unique. It's really, really, it's a very effective sales tool. And I would also train your sales team on how to speak to it effectively so that yeah. they're really, really well trained. On. It's the way that you like it, that you polish it up and present it to the I'm world yeah. that makes it sound and it's look It's the unique. lipstick. Yeah. yeah. So that's an easy one. Like name your process. Uh, give it something sexy and cool and unique sounding. Make it visual. Uh, upgrade your team. G- upgrade your team gear. Like polos suck. I'm not a big fan of them. Get rid of them. They're not super flattering. Get nice shirts. Get nice pants. Get cool hats. Ask your team about what they want. I really like like long sleeve dry fit t-shirts with a company crest up here. I like trucker hats with mesh back. That would be my preference. But you go and work with your team. It's a fun little culture builder to kind of pick their brain and see what they want. People love having new stuff. They'll wear it more often. You're not going to be fighting people about their uniforms and it looks better on site. Um, last, uh, last one I'll say is vehicle decals. Like a decal is 70% as good as a vehicle wrap. When you can afford it, go for the full wrap. Uh, that would be after you kind of do the full brand package. You're probably a bigger business at that point. And it does cost money. The design would be a few thousand dollars. The installation would be a few thousand dollars more. Um, but driving unmarked vehicles entirely, we just have nothing on them, is a really big mistake. And you can go to a local print shop and get like literally scratch on decals for not a lot of money. It would have your logo and your phone number and your website. Mm-hmm. So those would be, if you're thinking like cheap and cheerful brand refresh stuff, those would be the things that come to mind for me. One thing I just want to add at the beginning, you're talking about like not liking your logo. I think that uh, one thing they'll just overarchingly have really noticed in the contracting industry is that most brands are not as simple and clear as they ought to be. Right. When I look at, so the company that I was uh, growing prior to this Shack Shine, 
If you go to shackshine.com, you could check out what the brand looks like. Look at like big, powerful brands in in our industry, right? Uh, a couple under that same umbrella might be Wow One Day Painting. Uh, check out You Move Me, 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Those were all coincidentally done uh, by Noel at Freebird. Look at the way and the simplicity with which they communicate. Mm-hmm. It's very clear. It's very simple, especially when it comes to vehicles going around. Like you got to think they're moving quickly. Like can, do are people going to be able to read this? So just as you and I were having coffee here downtown Vancouver this morning, like there was a number of contracting vans and trucks going by where literally at their, you know, 50 kilometers an hour, 30 miles an hour, I literally couldn't even read the name because it was right. written in this stylistic writing. It was all together. Yeah. Yep clean, simple communication of brand, I think trumps everything. Totally. You're going to have a tendency and a desire to add more and add more when really you should be trying to reduce and and subtract, keep keep it as clean and and as simple as possible. Question number five uh, on the home stretch, how do I make employees accountable for quality? Mm-hmm. Direct uh, without direct supervision. So I think the question is like, how do we, how do we just make people essentially give a shit about quality and customer satisfaction and do it completely independently without oversight. Yeah. So let, let me talk a bit about this one. The number one th- the thing that I think about on this topic is what this looks like in other much more consequential industries, right? So we talk about like right. our mistakes and our quality issues in contracting. Yeah. Like customers are going to get pissed off. You're going to have a multitude of issues on you personally and your brand, which you absolutely don't want. But if you want to get good at this, the answers are everywhere all around you, I think in industries that are a lot more consequential. So think about like, uh, how do airlines ensure that pilots don't make mistakes? Uh, how do engineers not make mistakes? How do surgeons not make, make mistakes? And the one thing that is abundant in all of those industries that I use as examples are the fact that there are a lot of checks and balances. Mm-hmm. Right. So when you think about across the board, like there's, there's, there are QC quality control processes and systems for everything. There's checklists for everything, right? There's like a, uh, before a pilot lines up, like to the runway to land, there's a whole bunch of checklists that need to happen every time, even if they have like 8,000 flight hours, they have to go through a checklist every time, right? There's a bunch of checks that a surgeon needs to do before they close, Mm. whatever. Right. So, um, this is a really, really common theme. There's sign off. There's often photo evidence, all these things like we can apply into our industry. So if you're not going to be there all the time, which you shouldn't be, um, there's a myriad of tools that are available to you to make sure that things are done consistently. You want to remove the need for brain power too. I think the thing that's unique about our audience is, uh, you need to factor in the exhaustion level at the end of most jobs. Mm -hmm. Crews are usually eager to get off of the site, get onto a new one. They're Mm -hmm. tired of the layout of the project. They're tired of the customer. They're tired of the hill that the project is in. Like they're ready to go. And so you, there's an even more pronounced degree to which these checklists should remove brain power at the end because they're not going to have it. So it needs to be, I shouldn't use the word brainless because you do need to like go through it and check and, and be responsible and be thorough, but you do want to essentially extract any need to think or do anything 
from the dome, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, they have to follow a checklist and they have to prove and sign off, whether it's with like an actual check mark within an app on an iPad or their phone or whatever, or more ideally with a photo that this stuff has been completed off a simple checklist. And what I'd argue with is that the pilot that just finished the 13 hour flight is tired too, mm. but they have to go through that checklist for that exact reason. Yeah. And if the airline forces them to do that or a hospital forces a surgeon to do it or whatever, um, that it, it means that you can too. And I think that the biggest issue is rooted in the fact that business owners either don't develop it as much as they should this kind of system and or they don't hold people accountable to it because there's pushback and the fact that there's pushback is totally fine uh th that is going to happen so if you want to be able to hold people accountable to quality without supervision you have to have these systems in place and you have to hold accountability to it again the good news is, is that we have a lot of technology that facilitates this yeah there's there's systems that create rules processes these bl this black and white accountability right so some examples right like if you run a painting company let's use some really simple stuff before prep is completed right before any finished coats go on like there's been some like you have to wash the house there's like loose and peeling paint like all this needs to be scraped off it needs to be sanded it needs to be primed that none of it you can see after mm -hmm. but there either is or needs to be a prep inspection checklist when the prep process is done with photo proof yeah. Checklist, yeah. right? Like, so how do you ensure that that, that 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 they're accountable for quality? Well, that's how that's done. If you run a roofing uh, a roofing company at the end of at the end of each day, projects not full, you know, jobs not done. There is a detailed process for site cleanup mm. with a checklist and photos. So mm -hmm. I had a roofing job done on my house a couple months ago. I went to drive in on my driveway, nails everywhere. Right, right. You're talking not like good. 350 bucks a tire on the car, and the roofers left nails all over. Right. Right. At the end of the day, like coming in at like 6, 6, 6.30 p.m., nothing's cleaned up. Why isn't there a checklist to go around the house, especially in the driveway, and clean up the nails? I think going back to one of our earlier questions, and I won't get into the specifics of it, but, you know, get, get creative and have some fun and play around with some incentive-based pay on QC. Yep. Hey, like if we go a month or six weeks or a quarter, or whatever, with zero callbacks or zero, like whatever, like you know your business better than I do. Come up with something, build some competition around it, build some bonuses around it. This is something that you can create team buy-in around pretty easily. And the more it becomes a rote process where they're just following, they're literally just checking boxes the easier it is for you, the easier it is for them, the better it is for the customer. Yeah. This is a very, very simple And here's problem. another area where there's really seamless and easy technology to implement for this kind of stuff, like automated customer follow-ups, right? So last week, uh, two weeks ago, I- Like post-job. Post-job. So I, I, I dropped the car off for an annual service and uh, there, wa there was one or two minor issues, which I was too busy to call back. Well, two days later, I get a text message, an automated text message that says, how was it? Text back if there are any issues whatsoever. Right. Boom, I sent a text back and I got a call within like 30 seconds, Yeah, right? That kind of stuff is awesome. It's super easy to implement. Like having employees know that this is gonna be happening with some parameters and rules around this on the positive side, meaning like the bonus, it gets yeah. their ass in gear. Yeah. Bonuses around not having them and yeah. a rule around a number of strikes when they do happen and not, not having unlimited misses be allowed. So overarchingly, processes, checklists, look to other industries, this happens everywhere. Uh, have checklists for stuff, have proof, required proof that things are completed and have automated customer follow-ups. Those will go a long way and it's been it's easier than ever to implement this kind of stuff. 
Let's leave it at that. That's it, guys. Five questions, five answers. If you have a question, send us a DM on Instagram or Facebook. We do, we do, we do track this stuff and do these Q and A episodes from time to time. Those were those were great, thoughtful questions, awesome answers. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org. 